Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Ladies and gentlemen, return guest Vanessa Hurst joins me on the podcast here, and we have an in-depth conversation on what's going on within her school district. Again, she's a parent of three children who are in the school district. She's pulling two of them out next school year and, and sending them to a local private school. And what's happening in their district is the full-blown full blown communistic takeover of buildings and administrators and curriculum and standards and you name it. And they're joining middle school, the, the middle schools and high schools and seeking to do so that will create a school that includes all grades 6 through 12. And it's going to become remarkably dangerous, and they're doing so, again, in a neighboring, in a neighboring town. So basically, two towns would become one, essentially, if I have that right. But she's been a guest on the program before. I highly recommend going backwards and checking out the past episodes where you can see her name in those past episodes to get caught up. But again, you can jump in right here in the middle and get a pretty good idea as to what's going on. I'm also going to link in the description two videos that, that we both referenced throughout this discussion that took place between concerned citizens uh, and, and some, some employees, but mostly citizens, when addressing the superintendent and the superintendent's plan to impl- implement uh, th- this communistic playbook within, within their town and within their county. And it's absolutely awful, but they're organizing. And they're taking some control back, and the citizens are taking some control back. But again, they're they're unfortunately the school district is still ramming this through, and ultimately it's just going to boil down to a simple vote, and uh, it it has real economic economic and educational consequences here, and you're going to hear about a lot of those things within this particular discussion. So again, give this a listen. Make sure make sure and check out the two videos below in the description if you're interested in in seeing more about how the parents feel about what's going on. And there's going to be future meetings as well. And I'm certainly going to have her back on the program. And I may, again, I certainly will describe any emails that she sends me in the future because uh, we're not letting this go. We're staying on this and we're interested in educating the parents in that area and the school members in that area about what really is going on behind the scenes here. Because again, I, I think there's some history lessons here that need to take place and because, um, again, unfortunately, this kind of a takeover isn't a new thing, but it has to be done away with, and there's a way to do away with it. So we discussed that as well. So go ahead and give this a listen and uh, spread it around as far as you can. I recently found out that we lost three, or we were losing three more teachers at our school. Brings it up to a total of 10. <laughs> wow. It's a tiny school. Yeah, it's a tiny school. So 10 teachers, that's pretty, it's pretty big. Is this the middle um, school? Just well, that's the school of oh, the the K through eight okay. total kindergarten through eighth grade. Um, we also, I rec- I, I looked at our district's um, hiring webpage. Seventy two positions are open, and the neighboring districts don't have any positions open. <laughs> Maybe one or two. So, what do you suspect is happening? Oh, people are leaving in masses good teachers are getting out of dodge are they are they moving and uprooting their families completely um yeah or are they just picking another school in the same district or or not no completely different districts 
Wow. Every one of the teachers that left New Haven left the district completely, except for one. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, uh, I just got off the phone with a Bloomfield parent who's who wanted to talk to me because I seem to be the only outspoken voice in New Haven against the merging thing, and he wants to form a coalition. Um, so they're they're going to start organizing that and get everyone's thoughts organized and representation from each community. So that's kind of interesting. He's also looking into um, finance because apparently money has been moved around from um, the different, I guess, pockets that it goes in to build up funds to build these schools. The state has been in contact with our district at some point because of the low enrollment at the high schools and they were wanting them to close the high school. So the answer is to merge the six through 12. And then, um, the, uh, but, but there's no formal, there also are no formal drawings for adding a middle school wing to either of the high schools. So the general consensus among parents is that they're just going to put these middle schoolers in with these high schoolers, maybe add on a little bit to the buildings, but, Right now, the buildings are at low enough capacity that they could put them all in together without even having to add anything on. <laughs> so that's interesting. And then on a side note, I went to my, um, I think I told, maybe I told you this, or maybe I didn't. My sons, uh, they call them Family Ignite meetings, and they're poor attempts at family counseling because they ask questions. And I cannot find the paper for the life of me, but they ask questions like of my seven-year-old. Um, and my 11 year old, like, who do you want to show gratitude toward for your educational experience this year? And who, um, who helped you the most? Or how do you, how do you, where do you, where do you think you've had the most growth? Where do you think you're lacking? Um, and that's our parent teacher conference, not anything about their academics. So when I asked the teacher, so when our family night was over, and I asked my son's teacher, my 11 year old son's teacher, okay, so what does he need to know? I said, we're leaving the school. I know that they're leaps and bounds ahead at the school, you know, at St. Catherine where we're going. Where, what does he need? What is he lacking? And for, to, to be ready for sixth grade. So she, she slid me a post-it note with the list of things. He has not had any social studies this year, Sean. None. Oh my God. He should be right now. They should be, you know, at this point have made their way from a revolution up to Western expansion and touched on civics and at least know how a bill is written and formed and becomes law. Nothing. And just between you and me, the other teacher, the two fifth graders, they switch classes back and forth. The other teachers, the, the reading teacher between the two classes, she's been using her reading time to do social studies because she knows they need it. And she's not a tenured teacher, so she could get fired for that. Who's the social studies teacher? They don't have one. They don't even have one? It's, it's the two fifth grade teachers that are somehow cobbling together a curriculum for them this year. Because our principal, let me find, let me find the exact words our principal said to them when they brought this up about social studies. Um, we don't care about standards or testing. That's not important. And who said that? The principal. The principal. Yes. And there oh, you go. Oh, wait, wait, wait. It gets better. At the Cox's Creek meeting, I haven't been able to watch the video, the video for Cox's Creek's meeting, but apparently 
somebody asked about the um, the school report card for our district. And Wes Bradley said, and of course this is secondhand, I haven't heard it for myself, but tests are irrelevant. And at the end of the day, your employer isn't going to ask about your score on K-PREP. K-PREP is our state standardized test. Oh my. And if, yeah, so then, you know, the one parent, she says she didn't get back up there because she's pretty sure she would have cussed him out at that point. She says the standardized tests are irrelevant. Why do we still have SATs and ACTs and MCATs and <laughs> for, you know, like, the, you know, people in medical field? <sighs> yeah, yeah, I'll tell you what, that right there is the... I mean, that's the Marxist plan, that's the Marxist takeover, and it always, and it really has been, and unfortunately that approach is not a new one. The approach of, well, let's just do stuff, let's just try stuff, let's talk about our feelings, and again, you know this, but uh-huh. that, uh, it's been, it's unfortunately one of those things that's been written about for a very long time. There's no yeah. need, to, there's no need to assess students, there's no need to teach them reading and writing, and right. again... The, the proof is right there. If, if you don't even have, if there's not even a social studies teacher and they're not learning any of this by age 11, um, they're do. I mean, unfortunately they're doing everything that they want to do. Uh, it, uh, that just, that's awful. It's absolutely yeah. awful. Here's one of the, <laughs> here's, here's one of the things I wanted to do. I wanted to read this, um, Linda Bruckheimer letter out loud and I wanted and I wanted to get your take on it and provide a little bit of background as well because again I think this also summarizes pretty well the the general feelings of a lot of people including the Uh individuals who may live outside of the area like she does I would assume um, Uh but still clearly donates to the area but at the same time sort of the economic impact that that such poor decisions have on the area and that again under sort of the cloak and dagger of saying that they care this you know the superintendent and school board members saying they care about uh you know the students having choices and we want them to have choices i mean i when i watch those two videos which i'm going to link in the description for Uh for anybody to go and watch again if you want to see some pissed off parents uh, laying into a superintendent. These are the videos to watch, uh, and you're in, and you're in one of them, of course, yourself. But yeah, um, yeah I don't know. L- let me just give this a quick read here out loud, and then and sort of get your advanced take on it. Uh, this was dated April 28th, and it was sent directly to the school board. I assume this is certainly on uh, letterhead and and uh, yeah, an actual an actual paper. It says, quote, I was quite distressed to learn about the Nelson County School Board's plan to close Bloomfield Middle School. It's difficult to understand the reasoning behind this radical decision, but it is simple to recognize the undue hardship it would create in Bloomfield and the other designated areas. Let's see if I've got this right. The proposal is to shut various schools in Nelson County's rural towns, replacing them with a large, impersonal, one-size-fits-all facility. The displaced middle school children would be bussed from their hometowns and be dropped off at this new campus, quote-unquote, where they could co-mingle with other students of all ages from all over the place. Seemingly, there is no game plan for the abandoned buildings. It's hard to imagine how this re, uh, sorry, rigmarole came to be. 
And that's something I want to ask you about later, too. Um, she continued, quote, the reality of shutting children from shuttling children from one spot to the other back and forth day in and day out is burdensome, inconvenient and environmentally irresponsible. If I'm not mistaken, this is also a plan that's opposed by most of the affected parents. And that's no wonder. Regardless of all the charts, graphs, and talking points that promote the school's closings, one important thing has gotten lost in the shuffle, the impact on Kentucky families. Simply put, this plan makes no logistical or practical sense. At a time when Kentuckians have gone to extraordinary lengths to preserve their small towns, this proposal would be the kiss of death. It's also against the grain of what Nelson County parents and students uh, bargained for. Living in a small town is a very deliberate choice, one that more, more people are making every day. People who have grown up in them no longer take off for the big city, and newcomers are seeking communities that leave behind the daily hustle-bustle, yet provide the basic necessities. They have one thing in common. Schools are at the top of everybody's wish list. They more than they, more than any single feature, are the deciding factors of where a family chooses to call home. In other words, schools can make or break a rural town. As the owner of several local businesses, I'm always thrilled to meet young families who have chosen Bloomfield for its small-town charm, traditional values, and array of services. They have a unique appreciation for the beauty of country living and have infused our community with vitality and enthusiasm. They often remark that Bloomfield is the town that has it all. And then it continues. This trend is happening throughout Kentucky and it has not happened by accident. Again, that's yeah, a very important point right there. Our preservation movement, which has received national acclaim, has fostered the rehabilitation and repurposing of countless structures in historic small towns. They are being used as prime examples of what preservation and restoration have done for the spirit of Kentuckians and the economic health of our commonwealth. But all the pretty buildings in the world can't keep a town afloat. To thrive, it needs schools, churches, shops, restaurants, and businesses. Without these, the people will leave and the towns will wither, especially ones as tiny as Bloomfield. Haven't we learned, haven't we learned this lesson before? You can't, you can't have it both ways. We need to practice what we preach. We can't promote economic revitalization on one hand and turn our backs on the other. We also can't double-cross families with false promise of a better lifestyle and then remove the very reason they choose to leave here. There's no doubt about it. This proposal is one huge crushing blow to Bloomfield and small towns throughout Nelson County. Most of us have seen this pattern before. By the time the public becomes aware of these projects, they have been pondered and worked on for years, and they're usually a runaway train. My hope is that it is not too late for the school board officials to rethink and reverse this disastrous school closure decision. It is a lose-lose situation. Sincerely, Linda Bruckheimer. Now, who is Linda Bruckheimer? Linda Bruckheimer is the wife of Jerry Bruckheimer, the Hollywood producer. He produced uh, like Pirates of the Caribbean is one example that I know of. And what's her connection to the area? She grew up in Bloomfield. She's from Bloomfield. And they still they have a farm out there in Bloomfield that she's she comes to quite often. Has she attended any of these meetings? I don't think she, I, she has not been at any of these meetings, no. Has anybody thought about reaching out to her and maybe seeing if she'd go? I'm sure they have. I'm sure they will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, I think she hits the nail on the head and you have too. you know, the, the business of the school board has already made up their, their decision. And this came from someone else, you know, they didn't create this. This is, this is a plan that was in the works. And I, I personally think too, that the bigger picture is again, and you sent me one of those videos of, uh, I'm trying to think back. I forget the guy's name. But it was a Facebook video of a guy basically saying, this is our opportunity. It was a Zoom call kind of thing. But he uh-huh. said, this is our opportunity. We need to take this pandemic opportunity to, to, to change schools and do this and do that. I mean, the plan to change schools toward this model of full-blown communism yes. was, was well in place long before 2020. And they knew, I mean, all of this was planned out, all of it. They knew that and, they knew what was going to happen in 2020. They had that planned out, and then they figured they'd slide it right underneath, and no one would be the wiser. And hence, my original email to you: COVID is a Trojan horse. That's right. <laughs> because it is. Here it is. Correct. But I, um, I've, I've got a few comments uh, or, and questions too about the the videos. Having watched them now. Okay. The, as you stated, the New Haven video, which will be the second video that I, that I link in the description, that was way more tame, so to speak. Yes, Uh, it was. (laughs) What was the, why do you think that was the case? Well, we had some Bloomfield parents that showed up. They were told at the door that they need to keep it civil and keep calm. We were all asked at the beginning of the meeting to um, refrain from, um, shouting or getting out of hand um and nobody really like comments were made nobody clapped i think i I don't know it was really strange it it was it was very subdued i was kind of surprised um my a a a friend of mine or somebody another parent got up and said some things and something about um this middle school high school thing taking the heart and soul out of our community and i I started clapping. I was the only one clapping. I'm looking around. I'm like, I like elbowed my husband. Like, come on, clap. That was a good comment. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so yeah, so it was like me and a handful of people started clapping at that comment. But that was it, you know. And it, as you can see from the Bloomfield meeting, they were involved, like really involved. Part of it, I believe, is you know we're New Haven has been fighting for our school for thirty years. Our school in 1990 was condemned originally, as we were told in our meeting. And but then the state saw that we had 600 students, and they decided to put it at, or to change its status from condemned to transitional. And it has remained transitional for 30 years, meaning it does not get any renovations. It needs a new roof, but it's only going to get a patch. It needs a new furnace, but it's only going to get repaired. Um, and we've gotten maybe new windows. We've um, the only reason we have a new playground and our kids weren't playing on condemned, rusty, falling apart equipment that was over twenty years old, is because I took it to a board our board member and I took him pictures. I'm like, somebody's going to sue you all, and you better fix this. So he had the superintendent come out there that night, and he looked at it, and by the next day, it had caution tape all over the playground because it was that bad. And then we got a new playground the next year. So. That you know, we've really had to fight to get anything that we have at our school, and so we're all just tired. We know the same story. We know we're the stepchild of the district, so parents are just parent, New Haven parents are exhausted, and we know our kids deserve better. But 
how much more do we have to fight to continue to get the same opportunities for our children that they have in the rest of the district? And I think parents are just finally giving up and okay, well, this is going to be better for our kids. We need to make this move, which I think is a mistake because it will destroy our community. Even if they do do what they promise and keep the kindergarten through fifth grade in our community, it's not going to be sustainable. We have a building that has a capacity of 550 and you're going to only have about 200 students left in that school. The state won't let us stay open. That's just not sustainable. It's not logical. Um, so yeah, I, I just think New Haven parents are tired and this is, this fight is not new to us. So the subdued attitude is not a surprise to me. It would be interesting to see if they watch the Bloomfield video and say, yeah. well, well, look how angry they are. I mean, it seemed like the people in Bloomfield were angry that New Haven was being closed down. Oh, they are. Yes. They're, I mean, and of course, a lot of this is a shock to you know, pe like people in Bloomfield. Of course, they have. And, and it also, too, it depends on like your principal and what's been going on in the school. Like, we have had a rough year at New Haven. Um, and a lot of that has to do with our administration and Bloomfield has had a fantastic administration and they always have, they've always had a fantastic school. Um, so it's, it's just, I guess it's just where you, where you are and who your leaders are too. So yeah, I could see why they would be really upset and, and I'm upset, but again, with New Haven people have been fighting this for a long time. A couple other observations I made when I was listening to Wes Bradley talk. Um, first of all, I mean he's clearly a liar. I don't think there's I don't think there's any denying that he has all the mannerisms of a liar. There were countless questions he wouldn't answer. Uh, right. Even with you, he didn't want to take you on in the second video. Uh, and as you said, deferred to that other guy who, you know, well, he's got 30 years of experience on, on that particular school and I'll just bring him in or whatever else. And then he goes on a run about the structural, uh, nature of the, of the building mm -hmm. and other buildings. Um, just as kind of a, a funny little observation that I made, I found it funny that at one point he, I mean, he's clearly not paying attention when people are asking him questions. And at one point, he actually gets up. It was in the second video, the New Haven video. He gets up from his stool, goes over, picks up his mask, puts it on, um, listens to the question, takes his mask off, and drops it on the floor. And then leaves it there the whole time. And I just I thought, well, that's awfully funny. I thought it was all about everybody's health. And I thought everybody was supposed to be sanitary. And now you've just dropped this thing on the floor that you think is going to keep you from getting ill. Uh, it, that was, I don't know, that was odd. He also made a comment, which I thought was weird, but he clearly has no problem telling parents what, would, what, what they think as administrators is best for their children. Mm -hmm. That was very disturbing to me. And the, yeah. e and the ease with which he said it. I mean, he said, well, we, we have a pretty good idea as to what would be good for your kids. And I was going, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, yeah. That's not government's choice. No. And, and the, the whole concept of what the future demands, if that isn't a red flag in itself, when that stuff started coming out, the future demands this, the future demands that. Who decides what the future demands? The individual. 
according to what I believe and the way I was taught and, and, you know, as an American, the individual decides their own future. And as far as what the future may demand, may or may not demand of me or my child is up to our family to figure out, not for our school to figure out, not for any state run institution to ever figure out for anyone. Yep. I agree with you. That's well said. Um, one of the, one of the words that he consistently used to was conversations. He just consistently says the word conversations. Well, we're having conversations and we're going to continue a conversation. We're going to have a conversation. Now you and I both, and I mean, the two of us know that they've already, they're already done. They've already decided. Mm-hmm. In fact, in one of the videos, and I think it was the first one, or it could have even been the second one, but someone simply asked, so who decides this and whatever? And he says, well, the board votes on it. And, and three, uh, you know, if, as long as three fifths of the board votes, yes, then it's implemented. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've already made that. They've already made up their minds, have they not? I'm, well, there are, there are board members that are, they're not allowed to be vocal. And here's something interesting. Let me find where I wrote this down. So, apparently, and I have not had time, I just found this out this morning, the Kentucky School Board Association website has every district's policies, and somewhere within Nelson County District's policies, it says, board members are not allowed to undermine the authority of the superintendent. Now, these policies are put in place by our own board members, so they have not been allowed to speak out until the board meeting, which will be May 18th. But they can fire the superintendent, can they not? Yes, but they cannot undermine his authority. Okay, so that sort that sort of narrows it down. Then that would imply that the school board members themselves may not be responsible for this program, but the superintendent directly is. Yes, exactly. And that right there, I think, is the next. You know that that for me, that would be the next avenue. The next avenue would be. Again, where did this plan come from? Because we know he's not bright enough to create it himself. So, mm-hmm. so this came from someone else. Well, I mean, he, he is he is a very smart guy. I'll give him that. He is. I mean, he's he wouldn't be where he is if he didn't have a level of intelligence that you and I know that these sort of people have. Um, but I would I would say that this is too predetermined a process. Right. I mean, to to say that this came from one person or came from a small group at the central office. Do you think that, that would the, be? Is this a state associated thing? Are you aware of other schools that have implemented this very same program within your state? There is definitely an underlying movement in other areas, but not not to the extreme that we're seeing it here in Nelson County. But there is definitely, and, and this is education across America. Of course, you know it. Um, this is, there's definitely an underlying movement to move toward structures like this. Well, now, why here in this red county and why now? I have no idea. And, and who may be behind it, that is one thing that I would like to find out. Because you've asked him directly and he avoided your question, did he not? Yes. Well, I asked in a board meeting. They're allowed to, to comment on the guest comments, 
but I did not get to ask him in one of these forums. Now we have another one coming up and that is definitely on my list to ask. Yeah, um, I would, I I would, I would, I would push that question to the top of the list and I would make it the first, the first question because after watching the two videos, to me again, that's the one question that I haven't heard is, Mm -hmm. and I, and everybody deserves that response, I think. Uh, yes. you, you know, where did you get this? Did you type this up on your own? Where did you Where did you get this? Who gave you this plan? I mean, it's very easy to change names on a PDF. It's very easy to pop in pictures of students with their names, which again I thought was inappropriate. Uh, yeah, it uh, makes me even all the more glad that I, me and my husband, wrote to our school to have all of our permission pulled for the district to use their pictures. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> The, yeah. the, you know the, the other theme that I thought was interesting too, having having watched them, and it came up in both areas, was the business of the workplace bullying and the retribution. And yes. I, I found his his answer to be very troublesome, and it was a, a simple, well, you know, we're ethical and, and 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 we're professional, and we do this and we do that. And I would encourage anybody who feels like that's happening to contact human resources and whatever. Now, again, for anybody listening to this, if they're unaware, human resources departments do not defend the employee. They flat out defend the employer. That is, that is their primary job, in particular in K-12 schools. So say, for example, a teacher were to say, I'm being ridiculed, I'm being made fun of, I'm being harassed by this teacher or this administrator or whatever and they send that information to human resources, human resources now has a target on the back of that teacher. And they know exactly who to go for um, if, if something doesn't work out. Because basically, and it's remarkably unfortunate, but when teachers go to human resources, human resources just compiles a list of teachers to get rid of. Because they know that they know that those teachers won't play ball. And we've seen that firsthand at New Haven. So any Nelson County parents listening, I want you to understand, New Haven has been the canary in the coal mine. What is happening at our school in the extreme right now will happen in every school eventually. Um, and uh, so even even to that, we have had our administrators tell our teachers, if you are not happy, we will help you find work somewhere else. And then the minute they put in their notice, if it's not through the help that the administrators provide to find another job, they're mistreated, they're put into positions within the school that they are absolutely unhappy with, and they make their life miserable until they leave. That really was one of the more disgusting parts that I consistently heard, because again, you can hear it in their voices. And I don't know if it was if it, if it was a parent standing up for teachers in mentioning this in those videos, or if they themselves were actual teachers, if they themselves were actual teachers and saying that right to the superintendent's face, again, more power to them. But um, they might as well be sticking their head in the guillotine, so to speak. Oh, yeah. No, we, we've had the only teachers that have really gotten up and spoken are teachers that are for this. The ones that are against this have not had a voice at all. Yeah. Because you know what's on the line. We know what's on the line. They're not going to. They're not going to be invited back next year. What what's what's coming up in the future here? And and we can kind of you know if if you have something else to add, clearly go for it. Um, any tips? Again, anything that you want to say to anybody listening to this? But what's coming up in the future regarding this school district? Upcoming, we have a number of community meetings 
Um, there's almost one every night this week. There's some next week as well. There's um, at, They're going around to each of the schools to have a community meeting for each community. Then on May 18th is going to be the board meeting, and that will be held at the Boston School. So I imagine that's going to be a packed house. And so we're supposed to hear from some of the board members what they feel about it. And then after that, everything kind of is going to go quiet for the summer. The LPC, which is the local planning committee that kind of puts together our district facilities plan, um, they decided to reconvene in the fall. And there are several people that left their seats because, and these are, these are stakeholders throughout, you know, the, our county, um, some to represent each school. So you have parent members on the local planning committee and you have teacher members. You'll also have some community members like, uh, say a council or, you know, city council or, or somebody just that has, that's works within the community and familiar with the school. So you have, and there's 20 LPC local planning committee members on the local planning committee. Several of them had stepped down and said, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what we were doing. And so they've stepped down. Now those positions need to be filled and they will be filled in August, but we still haven't been told how those positions get filled, who gets invited to be on the local planning committee. Um, that That's another question that's kind of been evaded at this point, but they're supposed to, to, to reseat some of those positions in August and then reconvene their local planning committee meetings in fall. So we'll see. And the board can decide on whether or not to move ahead with this sixth through 12th grade merger in, um, as soon as I think it's August or September. Also another thing to note, there are no formal drawings being made that have been drawn up. No, no design, no, no, um, architect, architect, um, certified drawings drawn up for adding wings. Like we're told are going to be added to the high schools that will separate the middle school from the high school. The enrollment at both the high schools are down. I don't know if it's down enough to put all of the middle schoolers into the high school at this moment, but if there is going to be any additions, it's not going to have to be a very big addition. And there's no guarantee that an entire wing will be built onto either one of the high schools. So I just want to note that as well. And there, again, for as well planned out as this is, why aren't there any formal drawings that were being shown? My thought is that they're not actually going to add on much of anything to the high schools and just put those middle schoolers in with the high schoolers. But that's my own personal opinion. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. And having watched them, I, I, I remember them saying, well, what about the dividers? What about keeping the students away from one another? And that was a huge concern in particular with the Bloomfield parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they, they immediately saw this as being a massive problem and it is a massive problem and it will be. And it sounds like, again, with almost everything that Bradley says, he's kicking the can down the road and he's just saying, well, these are conversations we'll have down the future, you know, more conversations. We're going to come to your school. We're going to talk, blah, blah, blah. Um, but he doesn't have any specifics whatsoever. And Sean, I just want to point out a conversation is two ways and a conversation. You have two individuals or two groups talking and both are supposed to be listening, but we're not being heard. Our questions are barely being answered and there's very little transparency going on here. So there's, there's a lot of lot to be concerned about with here. 
on top of all the other education stuff that's been happening over the past year and a half. Yeah, I I, uh, I saw that the Bloomfield mayor showed up to that mm-hmm. to that particular avenue, and and he didn't seem happy at all. Oh no. <laughs> I mean, and who could blame them? Right. I think I, I had I'd read or heard somewhere that Bloomfield recently got a grant for safe schools to install sidewalks from the downtown area all the way to their schools. So they do have a lot invested in their school there in their community. And I mean, so does New Haven. And our mayor was there as well. But again, New Haven's been fighting this fight for a long time. Oh, I do want to note that there have been, somebody did organize a Facebook page to... Um, get parents more organized and it's save our Nelson County schools on Facebook. And it has, as of yesterday, 1,200 members. Excellent. And I think, and we have about 4,300 students in our schools. So that's really good. That's a really good number. Yeah. That's fantastic. What, what are the, um, this is kind of trivial at this point, I suppose, but it still matters. What are the, have they laid out what they think are the rules here for the the social distancing and the mask wearing and all of that stuff for this next oh. for this next year? No, no. And the sentiment that that I get from even just just dealing with our pers- our own schools administrators is that COVID is not going to be an issue next year. We don't even need to think about that. We don't need to be, think about you know the, like the NTI, you know, the, the virtual learning or anything. Unless individual families choose to do that. Well, I'll tell you what, again, if parents in that area are listening to this, they, they and you know this uh, because we've talked numerous times over the last year here, uh, they'd better get involved. And this is just me speaking to them, but you'd better get involved. You'd better get involved and you'd better start asking where this program came from because this program is not new. It came from way up top. He brought it here. He's either getting a giant kickback, your superintendent, for implementing this program. Somebody else is getting a kickback, whether it be a school board member or what have you. There's no way that he created this program on his own. And I would, I would just encourage everybody to lean on him about that and get an answer and not leave until you get a direct answer as to where this came from. But you can't expect him necessarily to tell him the tr- you know for him to tell the truth because he doesn't strike me as the kind of person that would ever want to do that. Like I said, he 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 kicks the can down the road, he evades questions, and then when another parent comes up, fortunately, I mean, Vanessa, you've got some parents there as well that are standing up for one another, which is a great thing to watch, and they're recognizing when one parent's questions aren't being answered. And then the next yes. parent comes up and asks the exact same thing and says, oh, by the way, you didn't answer their question, so how about you do it now? Yes, that, that was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yes. They just have to keep leaning on it. And then, again, the next move to make, and again, you know, with these people, and of course this is all public, so it's, it's not going to shock them, but you have to be at least five moves ahead of them all of the time. And the next move is, is you have to figure out what board members are up for re-election and when that's going to take place. And you have to make sure and run against them. And you have to make sure and get your paperwork in to run against them as soon as humanly possible so that you're within that particular deadline. And then you have to take over that, you have to take over that, uh, that school board. And then you get rid of the superintendent. 
and you can vote him out. You can you can shorten his contract. You can buy him out of his contract. Uh, you know, one of the things that gets said consistently is that school districts don't have any money. We don't have any money. We don't have the resources. We don't have this. We don't have that. Nine times out of ten, that's a bold-faced lie. In particular, this past year, where they've been, where they haven't had students in their schools. Because again, I, I would assume that your school district was like many school districts that completely closed down last March, April, and weren't open at all. Yes, that's correct. There you go. So that's a lot of money that they weren't spending on electricity. That's a lot of money that they weren't spending on food services. That's a lot of money that they weren't spending on those things that they usually spend it on to keep to keep the doors open and the lights on. They have all kinds of money, not to mention all of the quote-unquote COVID money that they got from the federal and state government. So this, this, this notion that they have no money is, is a lie. They have plenty of it. And um, I, I, I just think that that's, that's the avenue that has to be taken. Once you take over the school board, then, uh, then you buy him out of his contract or you cut him loose. And one of the things that's happening too with, and I just saw this this morning, but one of the things that's happening too is the parents are finding lawyers who are not associated with the school district, who stand up for children's rights, and they're they're hiring these lawyers on a on a consultation basis or a retainer basis. So so it might be a thousand dollars, might be a couple of grand, but they're hiring them and they're having them show up at these meetings and they're telling the school board members, "We're going to sue you for child abuse because of the mask wearing." And then they all panic. So that's another avenue that I would recommend that the parents start to organize around is find a lawyer in that area or outside of that area who is a conservative and a freedom and independent thinking human being and sees this fallacy for what it is and then goes after these school board members in West Bradley on uh, legally. That's you know, at the very least, they write a letter. At the very least, they show up at one of the meetings and they and they and they specifically reference child abuse. I just watched a a video this morning before our call from a Utah um, Salt Lake City, Utah area school uh, school district, Granite School District, I think it is. And the parents showed up to this meeting, and there were two hundred people in this in this board meeting, and. Uh, the board members all just got up and left. Uh, the parents were yelling at them, screaming at them. They were very upset with the mask wearing and, and the distancing and all the nonsense mandates and this, that, and the other. And they all just ended up getting up and leaving. And then six or seven parents stood up, walked up to their desks uh, at the dais, sat down, and they voted themselves in. And, oh, wow. And, and they had a lawyer who was there who, who very quickly... Uh, and and I, I wouldn't say recklessly, but very quickly went through Robert's Rules of Order and, and didn't swear them in per se, but they all sat there and all the parents saw who they were and they recorded down all of their names and they did all of that. Now, I don't know if legally they can do that, but what they did do is they specifically referenced child abuse because they sent the police to go and remove these parents. And, and at least one of the parents was a lawyer and is a lawyer and said, here are at least 30 affidavits signed by individuals highlighting child abuse within this school district regarding the mask wearing and how unnecessary they are. So they looked at the police officers and they said, 
you can you can charge us with one thing, you know, disrupting a public meeting or whatever it was, but we're going to charge them with at least 30 counts of child abuse. And the cops ended up leaving because they, I mean, they weren't going to enforce one when, when there, there were more laws that were being broken from the actual school board themselves with, and the administrators with the, you know, the mask wearing and the, and the health and psychological abuse of these children. So, you know, that's, uh, if the school board members didn't resign, then what took place on film within that particular school district is really just for show. But as yeah. I mentioned in a previous episode, uh, at the very least, what the, what the community ended up doing was highlighting and recording the names of the people who are going to run against them in the future, because those school board members will be gone. And any superintendent who works in that, in that district will be gone. And then they can just start running right through the school district, uh, you know, waving a flag of freedom and independence and cut loose anybody that doesn't play ball with reading, writing, and arithmetic, taking the masks off, getting back to the way that things were. And uh, yeah, but that's kind of my two cents on that. Yeah, it, it sounds fantastic. And we've got our work cut out for us, but I really truly believe if we continue to band together and work on this together, across the entire county you know it's not just new haven on its own anymore this is we've got bloomfield we've got foster heights we've got cox's creek we've got you know uh boston all these schools coming together now something will get done absolutely you've probably heard me say this on the podcast too but the next thing too are, are going to be the shots yes that's yeah. that's one of the schemes that's going to work behind the behind the scenes here during the summer and i know yeah. And our governor is, is he's a, a complete ass. <laughs> yeah. He's, you know, mask mandate. He, he Every 30 days, we're going to have another 30 days, another 30 days. We're going to flatten the curve for, you know, two weeks for a year. Um, and then he was caught at the Kentucky Derby not wearing his, but oh, somehow that went away. And I've reassured, even though I've, you know, told a lot of these people that I'm pulling my younger kids out. I said, that has nothing to do with, I'm not leaving this fight. You know, this is still my community and I know what's going to happen if we lose our school. And I still care about, I still care about New Haven. So I'll still be there to, to help with whatever I can. And I'm a taxpayer. So, you know, I have every right to, to voice my opinion there as well. But, uh, and <clears throat> yeah. Let me, let me add this piece too. And, and I'll just kind of, I'm going to take the end part of that conversation that, that we just had right there. Cause that was, that's a really important piece you know, the sort of the work camp mm-hmm. mentality of what's been going on. But one of the other questions that came up in, in the videos had to do with the proper, apparently a large chunk of property that had been purchased by the school district without anyone's knowledge. Yes. Okay. Is, is that property vacant? Is it a field? It's a field. Okay. It's a field near the high, the, near Nelson County High School. Can you ballpark the acreage? I think it's fifteen to twenty acres. Okay. For any, for, again, for anybody listening to this who's unaware as to why school districts do that and why they don't tell people in advance, is really twofold. The first avenue, and again, you may be completely aware of this, but the the first avenue is. Every K-12 school district in America, by and large, in particular if they live around rural areas, or, or if, even if they don't, they are all in the property business. They're all essentially uh, realtors to some extent. 
And so what they do is, is they buy up property so that private schools and charter schools cannot build there because they don't want to give area parents educational choice on where to send their children because there are private schools and charter schools all over the place that are looking for property. They're looking to buy up property, whether there's a, an, an existing building there or not. In many cases, school districts will go so far as to buy property that has a vacant building on it that could very easily serve as a school. The, the K-12 public school district will buy it. They'll tear down the building, and then they'll plant a tree right in the middle of the field uh, in the interest of sitting on it so that they can make money in the future also. Uh, and then keep that money for themselves, all at the same time while raising your property taxes by putting particular levies on the on the ballots and, and screaming that they don't have enough resources and they don't have enough money. So if anybody was curious as to why that happens, that's that's those are the reasons right there. Yeah, it, it's just a, it's a shame that that you know it's taken all of this it's it's it has come to what it has come to before people are waking up but i'm glad they're waking up and that's that's fantastic thank you for listening to american education fm make sure and check out americaneducationfm.com for more information take care and god bless <laughs>